As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell, he scores the ball and he rebounds well. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only podcast with two co-hosts who just had birthdays. Happy birthday, Mike and Dave. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. Uh, We're going to start briefly uh, by talking about a lawsuit that was filed and then a a counter suit or a counter reply um, by by the Mavericks. Uh, Donnie Nelson sued the team. It's a, I think it is worth stating, important to state, it is a wrongful termination suit, but it has more damning allegations in there. I'm just going to kick it to Mike and let you, you, you wrote about this. Um, I've only kind of done a newser on it, summarizing what's happened and the sides of, of what, ha- what has happened. Mike, you actually wrote about it, something that was a little bit more columny. What's your brief rundown of of what happened and you know just overall view of 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 it yeah so i think like it is important to note that and i think going into this based on the information we have publicly available right now which is the it's 48 pages of filing from donnie's side it's a 12 page response give or take from the mavs uh Various statements have been made through different media outlets. Shout out Don Venata from ESPN for breaking this, just like he broke the Cowboys thing a few weeks ago. Guy's been extremely busy in Dallas lately. Um, For those who don't know the the basic synopsis, and I'm saying extremely basic, you should read Don's story. You can read my piece over D Magazine that kind of summarizes a bit about this uh, before going into the various stuff is – Donnie Nelson filed a wrongful termination suit against the Dallas Mavericks, um, alleging that he was terminated in retaliation because a Mavericks employee named Jason Luton, who is kind of Mark Cuban's right-hand man, uh, sexually assaulted and harassed Donnie's nephew in uh, 2020, All-Star Weekend in Chicago. Uh, Donnie did not find out about this until several months later, after the point in which he alleges that uh, Mark Cuban had paid a settlement 
or kind of a bit of hush money to his nephew. Donnie finds out about this as he's negotiating a contract extension. He brings this up to Mark. He claims this derailed contract negotiations with Mark and is the reason that he got fired from the Mavericks the following summer. Um, the Mavericks have the next following day filed a response uh, basically saying that Donnie Ellis was trying to extort the organization for as much as $100 million, that an assault never took place, that Jason Luton was actually the victim because Donnie was threatening to out Jason Luton's sexuality if he did not get paid. Um, the main takeaway that I have from this is just it is sort of impossible to parse who is right or who is wrong here because there is so shockingly little common ground on anything, right? You know, I mentioned Don Van Atta broke a story with the Cowboys a month ago uh, that involved essentially a, uh, a incident from 2015 in which Rich Dalrymple, who used to run PR for the Cowboys, walked in on Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders changing at a team event at AT&T Stadium. Um, the Cowboys paid out settlement money to the cheerleaders. And basically that story uh, really kind of evolved sort of, uh, it, was, it was degrees of intention because all parties involved agreed that Rich Dalrymple saw the Cowboys cheerleaders changing. It was the Cowboys cheerleader saying that he was deliberately trying to spy on them and take photos of them versus Dalrymple saying it was an honest mistake and he just was trying to go to the restroom and it was an unfortunate series of events. But if you look at that story, there is a clear timeline, a clear date, a clear set of things that happened, and then you were starting to parse a lot of he said, you know, two different sides arguing about interpretations of the same thing. This lawsuit and this response, the gulf of events is so massive Literally the only thing that both sides probably agree on is that Donnie Nelson got fired last year. And even that, there's not really agreement on because Donnie Nelson says he was fired in retaliation for something that happened to his nephew. And the Mavericks say, no, he was fired for cause. If you've seen what happened the last God knows how many years with this team, plus Donnie Nelson's outside interests uh, diverting his attention. And there's an entirely separate thing about whether he may have may or may not have tried to sell his shares in the Mavericks G League organization. You can read the story for more. You can read all these filings. But what this comes down to, and as far as what I have a take about, is that there are so many gaps in everybody's accounts that somebody's doing a lot of lying. It could be both sides are doing a lot of lying. But there is no way for both for at least one side not to be telling an extremely different version of this than the other. And the accusations that both sides are making are so awful that you just don't even want to know in some ways who is lying because you don't want – if. If Donnie Nelson is lying, then he is alleging that somebody committed sexual assault and that person didn't do that, which is awful. If the Mavericks are lying, then they are saying that Donnie Nelson was willing to make up something that happened to a family member uh, and weaponize that for contract negotiations and then put somebody who may have been innocent uh, in harm's way by publicly outing their sexuality. And that's a horrible thing to think about. It is just, it's a mess. You can go through the evidence, you know, and kind of squint and see why one side might be more right than the other. You know, Donnie Nelson's lawyer attached six exhibits to their filing. Uh, a lot of those exhibits are the sort of things, you know, I talked to an employment rights attorney, um, you know, two of the claims that he filed, one with the uh, EEOC, the other with the Texas Human Rights, through the Texas Human Rights Act, or Texas Human Rights Commission, I should say. Those are the sorts of things that probably come with perjury penalties, whether they're enforced or not, I don't know. Uh, I do know that, that there was a settlement offer attached uh, to this, you know, in the name of $52 million, which Donnie Nelson says was sent to him in sort of a form of hush money in earlier this year to basically just retract his EEOC complaint and not talk about this incident anymore. That's the sort of thing that just from talking to a couple attorneys, if that, you know, who knows what's fake or not fake in today's world, but 
that's Nelson's attorney attaching it to the filing. And Nelson's attorney is the one who is as liable as anything if that's not a real settlement offer. Attorneys don't tend to put themselves in harm's way if something like that happens. Uh, but on the other side, you have Mark Cuban who said, hey, look, I know we've had transparency issues in the past, but I told the league right away. I reached out to the league for comment. They referred me to the statement they publicly made. That did confirm that they found out about this right away. And frankly, if this is a wrongful termination suit, which is really what this is about, the Mavericks have an extremely strong case for why you can fire Donnie Nelson with cause, right? We've done this podcast. Did any of us on this podcast raise an eyebrow for a millisecond when Donnie Nelson got fired? Hell no. We were like, yeah, okay, probably should have happened a while ago. So you can talk yourself into either side being right. You can talk yourself into either side being wrong. Uh, it's just very obvious that this has ended extremely badly on one side of the boat or one side of the other, and that some pretty nasty things are being thrown around. And it's impossible to live in a world in which at least one side is not lying a lot about something. And that's just, it's a rough thing to parse through. So I don't have a take about who's right or who's wrong here. I'm not going to pretend to know or to insult you guys' intelligence. I've just done enough research to know that the gulf is really abnormally wide between these versions of events. And that's really the most shocking thing here. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I think it would be irresponsible to speculate on on that. Um, a lawyer I've talked to uh, certainly cast uh, doubt upon the Nelson filing in terms of the logical consistencies of various things he said. I, I think the Mavericks did correctly point out factually some things that were incorrect in the Nelson filing. But I think as a as a fan or or as someone who cares about the Mavericks, what you should interpret to, interpret from this is less about Nelson's um, you know perceived slights over being firing, which is what his suit is about, and much more focus on the actual accusations on both sides, because that's the really damning thing. That that's that's what I feel, you know, should be the 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 takeaway from this, and and I do think that both sides have set themselves up. Uh, in in such disagreement with each other that whoever is right and it, it's the way they've set this up it's hard to see a middle ground um, unless like you said Mike it's just both sides lying um, but it's really hard not to see whichever side is right or whichever side is is wrong like they're the other side is heinous like like these actions are not are not you know simple pettiness like they are really damaging accusations that if proven one way or the other, um, it's really just awful. It's, it's really awful from whichever party, both party, you know, whatever it is. And, and yeah, that sucks. I I totally understand what you mean, Mike, when you say that, you know, it's almost, it's almost like we wish we didn't know or, or weren't going to find out because it, it will take a coming to grips with the person and, and the accusations and, and whichever side, you know, ends up, you know, I guess if we even find out, and and I, I that's probably the, the place to end this is that there's a very good chance this, if if it makes it to court or or doesn't get thrown out or whatever whatever you have, like it's going to get settled. It, it will not make it to, you know, discovery. This is not going to become a long drawn out court battle between the two sides. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that, and lawyers I've talked to say the same thing, and. So now we're just left to grapple with the fact that it's out there. So I think we can talk basketball. Go ahead. I was going to say, this could transition us to talking about basketball, but like no matter who's right or who's wrong, there is a significant portion of this fan base and this city that you see Dallas Mavericks 
lawsuit, Dallas Mavericks scandal, and that huge portion is just exhausted because it's been five years of stuff like this, you know? And no matter who's right or who's wrong here, it is another thing of just like, oh my God, we're doing this again? Especially because this is the most, it's juxtaposed with, this is the most fun it's been on the court in a while. This is probably the best vibes that there have been on the floor in a while. And uh, I know there are people that I've talked to who just are Mavericks fans. They're just like, you know, I really, like, really, again, we're doing this. I just, like, I'm actually enjoying the basketball and I feel like I mentally turned the page from some of what this organization is. And now, poof, we're right back to where we were. So uh, it, I don't know. I mean, you've been at, you know, you've been in the arena. I don't know to what degree the team thinks about it, to what degree it's hovered over anything. My sense would be not that much, but uh, certainly like there's, there's a lot of basketball you could talk about because this week is crucial and last night was fun and things have been more fun than not on the court lately. So, you know, I, I don't know what outcome is preferable in a, in a lawsuit or a situation like this that's so murky and there's so such a wide ground between both sides. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, I think over the past few years, yeah, the, the, yeah. The only other thing we can say is like over the past few years, I don't, I don't think either party involved has earned trust. Has right. has earned Let's our trust. Let's prove Yeah. Right. 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 The basketball has been fun, and and that that is a that is a understandably frustrating. You know, it, it's not the by far not the most important thing here, but it's an understandable frustration of fans uh because it is so easy to focus on the court and because the on-court product has been so fun you know they there's a couple losses mixed in there recently but you know the Mavericks went ahead and won um on Monday night uh they beat they beat Minnesota who has kind of out of nowhere they snuck up on me in the way that they had snuck up the standings did you know Aaron Gleeman your your athletic comrade tweeted this they have the fifth best record in the NBA by winning percentage since mid-November. They started 4-9, and nine, and then they just flipped a switch and have quietly just been climbing on up, and nobody's really paid attention to it. And I feel like, well, Dave has. Dave knows it all. But I feel like most people have not paid attention to this until, like, what, two weeks ago, maybe? And then I know, just keeping the local-centric perspective, I'm looking at these games, and I'm like, oh, Minnesota's been frisky lately. And then I look at the standing, and it's, oh, right. they're a lot more than frisky. <laughs> Dave, Dave, they're, you told me you funny. have... Well, you told me you have opinions about the Mavericks. I mean, if you, I if do. you got Minnesota I takes, do. Then... But, but I want to talk about Minnesota because I do think Minnesota is interesting because they're a young team. It's it's sort of like Memphis. Young team with a lot of talent, and they sometimes just do wild things, right? We saw that last season, I thought, with, with Minnesota. It was like every now and then you could see them – the the talent and skill would somehow just like come together for a game or two or sometimes a quarter or two. I thought Minnesota had this in them this year, and, and I've been uh, happy to see it because they're fun, right? Like Carl Anthony Towns, that sixty point game, I, you know, getting to sixty is whatever. The thirty two point quarter was nuts. Now maybe Greg Popovich was tanking and just didn't care, um, but uh, that guy has been awesome all year. He's probably going to make All NBA. So Minnesota, they. They're now learning to win games, like to to close games, and that's been a big difference for them. So um, they're probably not going to go very far in the playoff. I mean, I'm not expecting them to upset anybody, but they are uh, frisky is a great word for them because they actually could, you know, beat you like the other night. They they probably should have won that game. At the same time, if I don't Anthony think Edwards Dallas, had played better, I don't think Dallas is worried about a three six series. I think they would absolutely you know, not. They would walk. Yeah, they, they would, would have no problem. They would, Welcome that. They would invite a first-round yep. series against Minnesota. 
because that's in a lot one of, of ways, the like, more favorable center matchups for him. And, and the Mavericks have been a team that has learned to win in in the same way that you know you described the Timberwolves as learning to. The Mavericks yeah. have been learning this for several seasons now. They're they're just beyond them. I I, would, I I think it's fair to say it's a case of raw talent versus just more mature talent. I, I don't. I think Minnesota's roster has you know from towns from if you're th- if you're thinking of the the Mavericks roster from Luca on downward and then Minnesota post towns, I think they have more talent. But Dallas is just savvier than they are. Dallas would win a playoff series mm-hmm. and just they've been there. Their best player is just. They're going to have the best player in the series. Exactly. I mean, that's so, a lot of the best player so, in most series. But I think with that team, they could just exploit Minnesota being so much more green and less mature than than them. And yeah. that, they can overcome a talent deficit against that team in a way that they might not be able to against several other teams in the last. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The trio of us have not been on the podcast in at least a couple weeks, maybe. I think since the deadline. Honestly. I think the deadline was the last. Yeah, yeah. the deadline. Yeah, yeah. Let's just hear well, broadly. Uh, start with Dave. I know. I know you yeah. have a few things to say, but w- what have you guys learned about the Mavericks over the past few weeks? Well, Spencer Dinwiddie has turned a corner in his return from his ACL injury. Like he looks way better than he did in in Washington, almost to the point where you have to start thinking. That he was like tanking his way out of town. I'm not ready to go that far. But he I saw awful. I saw He's, Austin, friend of the program, yeah. been on the show many times, tweet, man, finally a big time player forcing his way to Dallas. And I, yeah. I, that just killed me. And I mean he He's been great, and you know, hitting a couple game winners stands out, obviously. And and you know, I I, I kind of joked with you guys and and with some other friends of mine that if he can shoot thirty two percent from twenty five feet, you know, that's that step back that he likes. If he can do that, it's great because he's starting to turn the corner again when he when he's driving to the basket, not just against bigs but also wings. But one of the things that I do love about Spencer Dinwiddie, and especially with how he's been playing in Dallas is when they work and get him a big on a switch, he's not looking to get to that step back. He is actually trying to take him to the rack. He's getting to the free throw line. He's bending the defense. He's creating shots for other people, the hockey assists. Um, So it's been working out great because Spencer Dinwiddie is healthier than we thought he was, which is awesome. You know, I'm going to give you credit because you were the person, the only person I've heard say this when we were all together after the trade deadline, you pointed out, look, Washington runs weird sets. 
And don't take him not going to the rim as necessarily totally indicative of him versus just that system wasn't really designed for him to do that. And clearly – Well, they had bigs right. in the way. And, you know, so maybe it's a little column A, column B. He's healthier. He has more time removed from the injury. You can even see Dwight Powell looking so much more springy now from an Achilles tear just because he's been so far removed from it. But also this system is back to what it was two years ago of space everywhere. And Spencer's the sort of dude who could exploit that. Yeah, and, and just being aggressive off the dribble – has been really important because now there's there's multiple guys. You add a third guy out there when they're playing Brunson and Luca with, with Dinwiddie, and all of a sudden you can do some stuff. And it helps that Reggie Bullock is hitting shots, and that Bing. Dorian Finney-Smith is having one of the best stretches of his career. I mean, this guy has been nuts the last month. I, I do think there's a big difference going from 10 months removed from ACL surgery to 15 months. That's, that's definitely a key factor. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is, is you mentioned is three point shooting and, you know, just needing him to hit 32%. I, I think I sort of missed this when the trade happened. Uh, as I was analyzing Dinwiddie, he's always been a pretty decent catch and shoot three point sh- uh, player. Mm-hmm. And he just really weighed down his three point percentage by taking a lot of pull up threes. And he's taking the fewest threes of his career, at least since, you know, his, his early, uh, his first couple of years in the league. Like, he understands well, all that his space role. in the paint. Well, he also understands, like, he has said this term, role definition, at least five times in post-game interviews. And he said it very complimentary, lauding the Mavericks coaching staff for very clearly identifying what he should be doing on the court. And he understands that, yes, if a big switch is on him, he is, you know, they want him attacking that mismatch. But he also very much understands he's not the primary primary shot creator uh, when he's on the floor with Luka. And he's sharing those duties if he's on the floor with Brunson. And he understands he's a spot-up shooter if he's on the floor with Luka and Brunson. He literally said that last night. He kind of walked through each set of players he exists with in the backcourt and what his role is. And, and that's what he views his role as. And so I think that has allowed him to reduce some of these, frankly, bad three-pointers. We, we've seen him take a few of them here and there. And it's like, ooh, that's a, uh, you know, if, if, if he had a steady diet of such shots, I understand why he's a 32, 33% career shooter. And he, he did. He did for a lot of his career. And the, you know, credit to the Mavericks coaching staff, they have outlined and defined roles in very strict ways. It's so funny. We've talked about the coaching staff being rigid versus not rigid. Obviously, Carlisle, in a lot of ways, was more rigid. You know, I don't think that Jason Kidd at this point and his coaching staff at this point of the season is necessarily uh, like flowy, loosey-goosey, do whatever you want. It's clearly not the case, but they've let, you know, they've convinced players to buy into the roles that they see for them. They've let them... You know, kind of, you know, I think we saw in the first 20 games that some players were doing some things that they weren't good at. And I, I think that's allowed them to really convince the players, all right, look, this is what we want you to be doing. And you know it, too. We're not just telling you. You know it. And I, I think that's important. But and the fact is, and this is a big credit to Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie didn't do this after 10 to 15 games of failing. He immediately took this wisdom, internalized this wisdom, and then put it into practice. And that is a skill. That is a skill that self-awareness is a beautiful thing in all walks of life, but especially in professional sports because athletes are hardwired to believe in themselves. It's just how it works. The fact that he comes in without failing 
and is told this is what you're going to do, and he does it, and he's playing such great ball. Not only is that huge for this year, but so much of what we and probably everybody has cast this trade as with Porzingis was less about what they got and more about what they got off, which is one big max contract, right? And so the presumption was, well, maybe Spencer or Davis Bertans figures it out and they stick around. Maybe they don't. Whatever. At least you can move them. If you are the Mavericks front office and you know that, look, the current roster ain't winning you a title, there's got to be more moves at some point, whatever those are. The biggest thing that I'm seeing for Spencer Dinwiddie from them is, okay, not only is he helping us right now, whatever he gives us this year, if he can walk in mid-year on a you know no prep at all with his coaching staff and being told, do these things and he does them, then I know that if I have to change this mix again, I have confidence in this guy to probably adapt one more time and stick around as part of this core versus thinking, okay, we better just sell high while he looks really good. So that's a really important thing for Dinwiddie's value. That's an important thing for this team's flexibility because it doesn't have to be a deal where it's, okay, Dinwiddie's playing well. Dinwiddie's got to be the guy in the next deal. It could be Dinwiddie's playing well. And you know what? Maybe we have another guy come in and that changes Spencer's role, but we've seen Spencer can adapt. and We've seen Spencer do what the coaching staff tells him to the letter and excel. That's the guy who could be here for not just this year, but the next three or four. It's also amusing. I said so many times talking, uh, you know, talking about Porzingis that he was also very self-aware, and I do think he was. Like he was very aware of how he was talked about and how he was perceived. Uh, he was aware of aspects of his game and what he was doing on the court, and he would walk us through it. Dinwiddie, you know, he's a little bit different of a media personality. Uh, he's very interesting. He's he's almost as interesting in Porzingis and in, in some of the details he's willing to get into in, in post-game interviews. But I think in terms of self-awareness on the court specifically about knowing what he's good at and bad at, uh, he's even better at that in all the ways that you just described. Porzingis, definitely self-aware, but also had a very specific belief of who he was as a player that he would never let go of, probably will never let go of. And that is such a like it's such an interesting juxtaposition because it's right here in our face. They got traded for each other. And here's one player who would never adapt to being the role player complimentary piece that probably at this point he should be. And uh, talking of Porzingis and obviously with the contract he was on, with the money he was being paid, with the stardom associated with them ever since New York. I, I don't fault him for that necessarily, but then another player comes in immediately and absolutely like just adjust his game to a mic, you know, to a minuscule micro level and just perfectly fits in. It's, it's just very amusing to me. So do you guys have other broader takeaways though about the Mavericks at this point? Well, I mean, I've got some, uh, again, more just kind of some Spencer's a big I mean, the one, last, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's been a huge addition. The great run that they had coming out of the all-star break. I, I think you can just point at Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie and exactly what he's done and added. That was the, the, the stretch and Maxie's defense was big. Now everybody's very focused on the slump and uh, the slump is a slump. I mean, We've seen this from him. I mean, this is not uh, abnormal. Not to I mean, this, this degree, is maybe but a bad yes. one, right? But I, I this is the worst since his, his rookie year shooting wise. It, it is. It is. But I also think it mostly just reminds me he's not. He's still not a reliable postseason player. Like I, I think he'll. I think he'll make some shots before the end. I of think the year. he will too. But I, I you got to remember he is going to be unreliable in the postseason because of the way his offense is really based around one or two things. Right, and that and that changes things for them quite a bit because I do think Maxi's defense is so important. Um, it, it is especially in a potential series against a team like Utah, which as of right now it kind of feels like that's going to be the first round matchup. 
Utah's offense is a juggernaut. I mean, it is just a monster. And no matter how well you defend it, they are going to score. So you have to be able to score as well. So a good defensive game from the Mavericks might still mean 114, 115 points from Utah. That's how good that offense is. And you still might come away saying, wow, I I thought the Mavs did okay. And so this is where Maxie's offense and, and and the struggles are an issue because you need him to be able to defend especially against Utah, but you need him to be able to play offense because you need Rudy Gobert to be stretched out. You need those wings to be stretched out and you need them to have no one behind them to back them up. You need to go look at all the tape from the Clippers series against Utah and see how they did it. And Maxi is the key to this. If Dwight Powell is out there, it is just, I'm sorry, you can't do the same things offensively that you can with Maxi, and you need Maxi hitting shots. There's just not another option because you can't go super small. Yeah, it's not, it's a bad series for Dwight, and that's known. And to be clear, Dwight is playing his best ball since the Achilles tear. Yeah, he looks great. He looks great. He is finishing at the rim again the way he used to. And you know, if you want to go over to what we're doing at D, at D is Tark Franco wrote about Dwight today and about how basically that role, that pick and roll, and him being back to an elite rim roller just. It you can sort of he he likens it to basically basketball rock paper scissors where Luca has the answer every single time and what you do with Dwight is how Luca carves you up and he's crucial but Utah's probably the worst case scenario for him. Dave, why yeah. why can't the Mavericks go super small against Utah though? Uh, oh, well, I mean because I do think that that is a problem on the other end. I think Rudy can take advantage of that. Now it's going to require Utah to actually find Rudy and he only took like five shots the other night. So who knows? They all hate him half the time. But I just don't think that that you've got enough punch to be able to go like who where, who do you go small with right like I, I think uh, if you're going small and Brunson's out there like Brunson's small small like that's just a different thing and when you get into the playoffs and things are going to slow down quite a bit Donovan Mitchell is going to be getting to the free throw line they're going to be getting to switch on Brunson I, I I would be worried about going too small I mean who who would be your your nominal big against Utah there, you know? They've done a lot of looks with all three guards and then Bullock and Dorian yeah. playing the five. That's probably what they're going to try. I mean... that That's probably... You know, that's that's probably the closest iteration... Like, that's probably the closest lineup they could throw out there that um, to that Clippers lineup with, with uh, Terrence Mann, right? That's probably as close as they could get is with Dorian Finney-Smith in the corner. And... I, I guess then you're you're making Utah leave Dorian Finney-Smith open. And well, I think so if you're Dallas, that's a victory. So when I wrote, maybe that is what you do. Maybe you do just Dorian Finney-Smith as your center and you try to run him off the court as fast as you can. When I wrote about potential playoff matchups, you know, I was writing after Monday's game some Mavericks observations on the athletic. And, you know, one way that I was trying to break down what the best and worst playoff matchup would, would be is is which teams can they go super small against because i think to some degree if the bigs are not playable you may be forced into it and out of all the teams like i I think i think a team like utah you may be willing to gamble that rudy gobert is not going to score enough points and maybe more crucially not get enough offensive rebounds that's probably the bigger concern and worry right because that was that that victory the, the game that utah dropped here 
that was the story was that they they were sending two men to Rudy every single time to box out. Dorian Finney-Smith was awesome in that game attacking the glass. That's the blueprint for beating them with with Rudy, I think. But there was but still a lot work. of Maxi and it was I, still a I lot think, of Dwight Powell. Sure. Sure. And and the, ideally both of them are capable in any playoff series. But if you get forced into small ball, there's only one team I think they can't beat and and that's going to be Jokic in in Denver. And if like like you cannot you cannot go that small against Jokic unless they just have some absolute devil. Are you saying likely first round opponents? opponents? Or are you saying anybody in the West? I'm saying possible first round opponents. Okay, I was gonna say because there's nothing this team can do that will beat Phoenix. That's not happening. So okay, um, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I mean potential first round opponents. Okay, yes. gotcha. Yes, yeah. yes uh, maybe. Yes, all yes. right, and and I'll, I'll say this, Tim. I'll, I'll, I'll I'm probably underselling how good I I that lineup can be. Right, like maybe right. I just need to see a little bit more of it to feel more comfortable because I do think Dwight and and Maxi have they've just been so good. You have to walk into any series assuming they're going to be playing forty minutes a night, and if you get eight minutes with Dorian as your center and it works, it could be huge for them. But I don't think you can. It's not something that you can go into a series and say, okay, we're going to do this for twenty five minutes. Not against Rudy Gobert, man. I just don't think that that's workable. I agree. It's I, I I view it more as something they may be forced into, and if they get forced into that, which teams is it still possible that they can beat? I, I don't think there's any chance that if the bigs aren't good I, enough against Denver, that they're going to have any chance of winning that series. I feel pretty good about the other teams. Golden Golden State's its own thing, right? Um, and Denver they, also is its own thing in terms of mark, are Murray and Porter back. But I'm not even worried about that. I think Jokic single-handedly beats them unless Maxi and Dwight can give you something in that series, even if neither of the two injured Denver stars are back. I, I would at least worry about that more than I would worry about them gambling that Rudy Gobert is just not going to score enough, just not going to rebound enough, even if they have to go small. Uh, I, I definitely think they can go small against Memphis and, and force Steven Adams off the court. And well, but Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jackson has been incredible defensively this season. I don't know. Like, I that think Dwight Powell is more of an option against Memphis. Right. I agree. He, certainly. Certainly. Because you would want to so, so involve Utah, Jaron because he the fouls Utah discussion so much. is framed around Dwight also yeah. not really being a fit because you have to space them out. Right. Right. Like you have to get Rudy Gobert away from the rim. Right. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to that, I do think, Dave, you're underselling. Like, I think it's going to be more than eight minutes of Dorian playing the five in that scenario because I think they'll try Dwight. Maybe. But I think they're going to realize pretty quickly Dwight just doesn't work in that series. And you well, can't. Maxi is the guy, right? Like, Maxi is the guy. Ideally, everything works out. Maxi can even start for you, maybe. Sure. But, that, but, but the question is I mean, you just said ideally, right? If I mean, he has right. not shot this badly. Since he since his rookie year, and this is somebody Tim knows him. You know, I mean, Tim, you know Maxi better than most guys on this team. He's a cerebral dude. This is absolutely the sort of guy who I could see him thinking about this, you know, and not just shaking it off. And if you know, to your point, Dave, Utah is so good offensively that if you know, think there, there are ten more games before the playoffs. If Maxi doesn't doesn't snap out of this and he's on the floor and he can't give you anything offensively, that that's death. You can't play four and five offensively against that team. You just can't. So then if Dwight is out as a counter move, you're left with either going super small or hoping that, I don't know, hope Marquise Chris is healthy enough that you want to try him for a bit and see if he can run around for five minutes and throw some energy out there. 
It's and it's not ideal. Thing, the bigs are. I think I'd, I'd rather go Dorian Finney-Smith than, than Marquise Chris at this point. Right. Yeah, I would too. It's look. Yeah. There are you know this is sort of a sliding tile puzzle where any scenario with these bigs, you are leaving some big gaping hole exposed. Unless, and I'm not ruling it out. If Maxi starts shooting again, that's the answer. Right. That's as good as an answer as this roster is getting. If Maxi shoots well enough again, he does so many things defensively and can help you in so many ways that you can lean on him a lot, presuming his body holds up, which, you know, that's its own and, conversation. And even that I even that I want to gently push back on because I love I I think Maxi's a, a great dude and and I think the defensive impact that you have outlined, Dave, and that we all see is that important to the team. But we've also seen him hesitate and hesitate in postseason settings to shoot open threes do you remember the game against uh that's the killer do you remember the game regular season game this season against golden state where golden state straight up did they they tony allen him they did not guard him and he made a couple he shot like two of five and then he you know he missed a couple in a row and he started hesitating even on those i don't think that maxi can shoot a defense out of a tony allen scheme i don't think that he has been able to do that at really any point of his career and that he is, and I think another big issue with him is that he's not dynamic at all as a as a short roll passer. And so even if you bring him up into pick and rolls, all you really have is him, uh, you know, popping for three pointers. And they're gonna, you know, teams will give him that. Teams will try to just make him shoot more, and you know, ten of those in a row because they do not think he's gonna make ten in a row. And at no point have I ever seen him make ten in a row in that type of setting. And because you can't just slip and have him go pick out, you know, Dwight Powell's got very good at that short roll slip and he's able to to move players. He's able to take a dribble to open up a player even more who's in the corner by making the defense collapse on him. Him I've and Dorian have really good chemistry with Dorian coming oh, out absolutely. of the corner. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that, that yeah. again, if, if that works, never, but it, yeah, it's Maxie Rudy Gobert, right? Like, but that's the issue is that it's Rudy Gobert. So I'm assuming Dwight is going to be the starter. But now that I'm sitting here thinking about it and just considering the fact that Maxie's likely unreliable, just hesitant shooter, right? Being a 40% shooter is uh, – P.J. Tucker is the guy that comes to mind. P.J. Tucker is having a great season shooting the basketball. P.J. Tucker has been able to shoot threes forever, but he's a hesitant shooter. Like in the playoffs last year, he was killing the Bucks because he just wouldn't take shots. Dorian Finney-Smith? Is not a hesitant shooter anymore. I don't know if you guys noticed this. I was but just that about to say this was look last year. The, the Clippers series, the problem that they had was that there were two of those guys on the floor. Don't put Dorian right. Finney Smith in that category anymore. Dorian Finney Smith yeah, is not. much more of a solution these days than he is a problem as a shooter. And that's a great. You I worry mean, about the year, rim protection every but, year, right? Every year, Dorian adds a little more to his game, and that's been a big improvement for him. And so, having said all this with the big men, look, I, I don't think we've seen the last of Davis Bertans. They'll probably try it. You know, because that's the sort of dude who he's got one skill. And when he's on, that one skill just really wrecks a defense. And I would not rule it out at all. As and Utah's going- wing defense sucks. Their point of attack defense sucks. They are off. They are. I mean, look, man, if you can get Rudy off the court, you can just destroy the Jazz. That's the thing. Rudy catches all this crap for this Clippers series. But the truth is, if they had one other decent defender, just decent they probably win the series. Yeah, and to that point, if, you know, because there were those initial few games, Bertans looked a lot like pre-whatever-the-hell-happened-this-year Bertans, then it all went off the rails again. If that guy shows back up, you can get Rudy off the court very quickly because Bertans hitting trailer threes and in corner threes 
uh, when he's on, just gives this team a dimension they don't have from any other big. And then, and he yeah, the issue. Go ahead. The issue with Rudy is that he, when you play five out and he has to actually guard someone, he can't cover up all the other all, all the right, other exactly. bad defense you're seeing. Yeah. The rest of the entire lineup, and, and you know that's that's always been the problem with Utah. And I agree. I almost brought up Bertans like five minutes ago that you know if if their bigs are not working, but they can't go that small. Bertans is absolutely someone they're going to throw out there uh, specifically to facilitate five out lineups and just make sure that you you know you have a player over six eight. He's not a great rebounder I, I either, but he does as, give you as, more size, and that matters. As long as Dorian Finney-Smith or Reggie Bullock are always out there with, with Davis Bertans, probably okay. But you got to have pro- maybe even both of those guys with, with Davis because of the defensive end. Yeah, we'll say, see him. We'll oh. see him in that lineup in, in either Brunson or uh, Dinwiddie uh, subbing out. Like he, he'll take one of their places. The two wings will play. Luca will play. That is, yeah. I'd almost be certain that's a lineup we see early in a Utah series and then other ones I'd have to have to kind of game plan it out, but I'd imagine it's a, it's a viable one as well. And they'll, here's, they'll at least try if they need to. Here's one thing that I'm not worried about against Utah. You know, that last game at Dallas, they win because essentially they put Rudy Gobert on Luca down the stretch and Luca gets frustrated. And I think on a one game basis, I think Dallas should have switched more than they did, but in a seven game series, Luca's going to figure out that matchup. Rudy Gobert can't be playing fourth quarter defense against Luka Doncic for seven games and Utah expect to, to pull that off. Luka's too good and too smart. So that's one that, you know, if you're worried watching that last game of, man, Luka really looked flummoxed and I don't know if that's going to work. Uh-uh. Luka will find answers for that if he sees that enough times. Um, that does not concern me. Yeah. Let's get out of here. We talked about plenty. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, Utah's still the most likely playoff series. You know, Disregard all of this in it's, two weeks if, if it's somebody else. We'll do a different preview then. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't, I don't mind focusing on them since I think that's I still think this most is a good likely. like state of the team, so. but because I, Utah right. as the first round matchup it is it is fascinating because it kind of highlights the weaknesses of the team, but also potential strengths. We'll focus on Golden State, Memphis, whoever else if we need to. Um, but I agree. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily this is how they're going to match up against Utah and more like. This is how the Mavericks will have to play in the postseason. And I think we're at a point of the season where that's everything we should be talking about and looking forward to and thinking about. So we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God. Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! (laughs) It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap. (laughs) Woo!